This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, today, Friday, is a very important day for Ukraine, for the president, Vladimir. Zelensky, and for NATO, because a big decision needs to be made, and it will be made at Ramstein Air Base, which is in Germany. The American Defense Secretary, Lloyd Austin, will be there, along with 50 other representatives of NATO, mostly defense ministers. And the issue they will be discussing is the degree to which the arms that Zelensky requires and is demanding can be sent, particularly tanks, which will be important. It is believed and is almost certain that Russia will launch a new spring offensive in the not-too-distant future. And Mr. Zelensky is making some very hawkish noises about the help he's getting from the West and also about his aspiration for this conflict, which is, he says, among other things, to restore Crimea, which has been occupied by Russia since 2014. We're joined now by one of Britain's most distinguished journalists, John Kampfner. He was bureau chief in Moscow at the time of the dissolution of the Soviet Union. He was then the chief political correspondent of the Financial Times and a political commentator for today the renowned BBC radio programme and political correspondent for Newsnight. He's also an author of a number of books, the latest of which, Why the Germans Do It Better? Notes from a Grown-Up Country. Now, John, Germany really has a big decision to make, and it concerns the tanks that they have been very reluctant to send to Ukraine or indeed to allow people, the governments in Poland and Finland, for example, who have got these Leopard 2 tanks from Germany, to allow Poland and Finland to let them go to Ukraine because they have a veto on that. The importance of today's meeting, in your view. Huge, Eamon. Hi there to you and, and to listeners. I mean, I always start whenever I'm talking about Germany and its Russia policy, with the caveat, as I said in my book, Germany does not do Russia better. 
for so many reasons we've discussed before on your podcast. It's um, endemic pacifism, the Russophilia, which is partly political through the, I could get very historical here and talk about the foundation of the Social Democrats, the party that's now leading the government, very sort of closely aligned with sort of Russian revolutionaries in the late 19th century, blah, 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 blah. What could go on about all of that? But we are at the here and now. Germany, through Olaf Scholz, its curious chancellor, now in post for just over a year, who manages to be completely exasperating while just about always getting the job done. And I think that's what's going to happen in this instance at Rammstein and everywhere, uh, all the other issues around Ukraine. Germany is slow. It gets there, but it gets there reluctantly. And in so doing, it frustrates its allies. It infuriates, understandably, the Ukrainians. And it doesn't do itself any good. I'm cautiously optimistic that a deal will be struck today with their new defense minister, Boris Pistorius, who is clearly has clearly been brought in to produce a harder edge. His predecessor, Christine Lambrecht, was completely in, incompetent, which sort of personifies Germany's whole defense. Yes, and she resigned earlier this week. That's right. Uh, she, she personified the sort of confusion that Germany feels around defense. And it's all changing. Um, you know, when... Putin invaded just coming up to a year ago, and Schultz did that amazing speech that Seitenwender three days later, yes. Sunday morning in Parliament, completely blindsided uh, MPs, blindsided most of his cabinet and coalition by being promising to be as radical as he did. Germany has done a lot. It's shipped a lot, but it always does it slowly, reluctantly, and it then gets the hump about why it's not given the credit because it's always following rather than leading. It's the most powerful nation in Europe. I don't think many people would dispute that. Well, it's the most powerful politically and economically, absolutely not in the security realm. Yes, and its hesitancy, its reluctance, in the case not just of these Leopard 2 tanks, but right the way through this conflict, which goes back 11 months now virtually, Germany has been, as you pointed out, slow and not, should we say, as bullish and enthusiastic as Britain. Now, for all Boris Johnson's and this Tory government's failures, it has led on this matter. And even yesterday, Wallace, the defence minister, came out and promised tanks he will be there today, I take it. The Brits have been, I think, very supportive of Ukraine and have been leaders in this. And they, they're not leaders in, in many things these days. You couldn't write a book called Why Britain Does It Better. <laughs> well, certainly I wouldn't. <laughs> no, with respect. So I don't want to get too bogged down in the history, but is it a hangover from the Second World War or or even deeper than that? And is it to do with Germany trusting itself? Well, I mean, first of all, about Britain, yeah, I mean, as, as you say, I, I would hardly be the first in a queue of people rushing to write a book or a newspaper article praising Britain, not as a country, but as a political establishment, 
the politicians have let this country down for a very long time. Yes, which we could you know devote you know, a whole series of programs to, <laughs> but but not necessarily for now. But Britain has you know, and and I I struggle to say it, but I have to uh, and uh, give respect where it's due. Johnson was faster than the others on Ukraine. Was that some sort of psychological British tick or Johnsonian tick about always wanting to emulate Churchill? Uh, seeing solace in uh, Britain's reputation in the Second World War, and it's hardly been uh, a great forward movement ever since, and sort of wallowing in in war mentality and nostalgia. Yes, but it's also the real world, and it's also now. And how do you, if you are trying to, everybody pretty much had given up on liberal democracy, and Macron famously declared NATO to be brain dead, Trump was running rampage, populists taking over uh, wherever you looked, and it was a pretty bleak position. And it is remarkable, no matter how we feel, how much people might feel frustrated about the lack of forward movement in the last couple of months for Ukraine and the dangers that remain incredibly acute. Europe and NATO, and most importantly, United States and the transatlantic relationship, have emerged incredibly strengthened from all of this. They've shown a cohesion, both politically, but also a lot of this stuff is practical, is getting the kit out, not just promising it, is getting it out. Yes, indeed. All the repair work stuff. So it's been, a, it's been an amazing story. And it's also, I would say, if you're trying to be optimistic about Britain, given Britain a lever back into Europe, if yes. not into the political mecha- mechanics of the European Union, to see Britain absolutely at the table, not posturing, but being genuinely practical um, with other countries, particularly the Nordics, particularly the Baltics, Poland, and others. For people like me who see Britain's role as being in Europe, that's heartening. Yes, and one could speculate that Putin believed that the West was split. Brexit would have had something to do with it, that Donald Trump's presidency, when he was disparaging about NATO, and in fact, he pointed to the fact that Germany, for example, wasn't giving up its 2% of GDP towards the cost of NATO, which it wasn't. And a major calculation for him was a divided West that would not come together. Yeah, yeah, no, emphatically so, Eamon. Not only that, he assumed, and I think lots of people, not only in Russia, assumed, that he would walk into and take Kiev in a matter of days. Ukrainians wouldn't put up much of a fight. The West wouldn't put up much resistance. They yes. might up and they might puff and they might impose some slightly sort of pyrrhic sanctions on you uh, on Russia. But ultimately, n- nobody would really resist. And the reverse has happened, led by Ukraine, also led by somebody who I think is never given the credit he deserves, and that's Joe Biden. Yes. um, Who quietly, unbombastically, because he doesn't want to provoke Russia, he doesn't want to provoke Putin into something desperate like nuclear or chemical weapons. So he has been four square. But the Americans are saying completely understandably to Europe, it's time for you to step up, which brings us back to the Ramstein conversations, and it brings us back to Germany, because Germany has doesn't actually have very much kit itself. It's so run down its armed forces that it doesn't have much to give. But it can and must, and I think will, 
give permission for the other countries, not least the Poles, uh, through export licenses to uh, send their weapons immediately to Ukraine. And these Leopard tanks are the most, the, the British tanks are, the Abrahams are fine, but they would require a whole lot of new training, new ammunition. It's the German ones, the European ones, that are the ones that would be most quickly deployable in the Ukrainian theater. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. What about Zelensky's bullishness? I mean, he's been, I, I think, a superb leader of the Ukrainian nation and a superb ambassador in going out to the world and selling the idea of Ukraine and its case. Nevertheless, it seems to me in, for example, mentioning Crimea this week, that the West is afraid that he might go further than they want. And that, it seems to me, an obvious reason for caution on the part of everybody who is supporting Ukraine, that Zelensky may want, in fact, as he says he wants, to regain all the territory that Russia 
has taken from Ukraine going back as far as 2008, you could say? Yeah, I mean, no Western politician will say it, but I'm pretty, well, I know they're thinking it, that, you know, when you, when you have to, there's one thing to have a ceasefire, there's another thing to get a peace deal. We're a million miles away from a peace deal. But yes. what would that entail? No peace deal, unless it's absolute sort of First World War, Second World War capitulation. Peace deals usually entail, whether you like it or not, an element of compromise. And it does feel to me, and, it, and you know, it, it, it's sad to say it on any moral ground, but that Western policymakers would differentiate between the Donbass, between the area that is inherent yes. to, if you look at a map, to Ukraine, both the areas that were seized in 2014 have been seized since uh, last February. Uh, that there, I cannot imagine any form of peace deal that wouldn't give Ukraine back all of that land, back to its pre-2014 boundaries. That said, I'm not sure that would entail for Crimea. What would be required for Crimea is to give Ukraine, hence the West, some form of naval guarantees, because it's through Crimea that access to the Black Sea is controlled. But whether the Crimea, which has such a complicated history and was given back, quote-unquote, by Nikita Khrushchev to the Ukrainians only in the 1950s, um, that's that's a much harder nut to crack. And then there's a much wider point here, Eamon, which is what is, given that Russia is not going to go away, um, given that Russia, again, sad to say, is not anytime soon going to become a liberal democracy, uh, it dabbled in it and didn't do it back in the early 90s. Again, one could talk about that forever. But given that that's not going to happen, whether it's Putin or whether it's post-Putin, we're going to have to deal with Russia and what kind of Russia would yes. that be? And how will we get to a point, to coin Margaret Thatcher's old phrase, that we can find a Russia and a Russian leader that we can do business with? And that will, you know, that, this is what the Germans and the French are saying. And it's, and it's a hard political message at the moment. It's obviously not one that, you, that Zelensky wants to hear. But nobody wants, everybody knows that you will not have stability in Europe with a completely humiliated, capitulated yes. Russia. It's not going to happen. Yes, well, history would tell the Germans that perhaps more than than anyone else. But to look forward, let's assume that today the tanks are permitted to be given to the people the Germans sold them to, Poland and Finland, I think Spain also. But the point is, will Germany not send its own weapons, whether they be tanks or other weapons, And the other question is, can we really look at this conflict and see it ending with Putin in charge and rehabilitate? (laughs) Well, well, they're different things. Um, Yes, I know they are. But the, the point, have we got to the point after the war crimes committed, the appalling destruction of infrastructure and the killing of innocent, murder of innocent people that they have engaged in. Can Russia come back into the, among the nations of the world, member of the Security Council in the United Nations with a veto? 
Can all of that be restored as if nothing had happened? Well, they haven't lost any of their seats. Like, in the no, I, I know that. Or anything else like that. But no, your point is, is, is a valid one. I mean, Putin is, you know, every country just has to deal with whoever is in charge elsewhere. Um, it seems hard to envisage a relationship that is anything but, if not absolutely frozen, then pretty cool with Russia for as long as Putin is in charge, simply because Putin himself wouldn't and couldn't and wouldn't change his tune. He has, you know, people forget that actually early Putin in the first year or two was quite pro-Western, did all kinds of things, helped the Americans on Afghanistan, didn't stand in the way of Iraq, um, yes. you know, took tea with the Queen, uh, invited Blair to the to the Marinsky Ballet, Ballet in St. Petersburg. It was all an attempt at being nicey-nicey to begin with, and that gradually, over time, faded away, and then obviously spectacularly. Do we know what tripped that wire? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I was privy to was one he, his own, you, Well, you were, you know, you were working in those areas, and yeah. you were in Moscow at the time of the dissolution of the Soviet Union. So you'd have a good idea, would you? Yeah, well, I mean, it's probably in two phases. I mean, there's one, which is the early 90s, the uh, end of history uh, uh, yes. scenario of Francis Fukuyama. Uh, Western, the West had won. De- liberal democracy, quote-unquote, had won. Capitalism had won. All you need to do, Russia and everyone else, is just sort of, you know, sign under the dotted line here yes. and just be like us. And A, it was pretty difficult to do that with Russia, a country of that size, whose economy was entirely centrally controlled and in many cases moribund, but also psychologically. I remember en- being at endless press conferences at the finance ministry, economics ministry, and you literally had Western economists standing at the back, sort of o- almost being puppet leaders, sort of telling the Russian ministers what to do and say. And I remember thinking at the time, this isn't going to end well. Um, yes. eventually. And it didn't. Um, but again, then Putin, so obviously then you had the chaos with Yeltsin being drunk, Putin takes over, basically being put in there by the oligarchs. But as I say, Putin did try now. He tried within his own mindset, and his yes. mindset is a very strong KGB um, mindset to reach an accommodation. And there is such a deep-rooted, I don't like sort of ethnocentric generalizations, but, you know, so I hesitantly say there is a deeply rooted Russian um, uh, fear of an anger towards a sense of A, not being taken seriously, yes. B, being taken for granted, C, physical encirclement, because they have such huge borders. Yeah, and that last point, John, if I may interrupt you, of being encroached upon by NATO, surrounded by NATO, a promise has been broken there, hasn't it? A, a promise that NATO would not move further to the east. Well, yeah, I mean, nobody in NATO can, the people in NATO say that nobody can actually point to a promise that was made. Um, there was no there will be no further NATO movement to the east, and the Baltics w- would have been absolutely yes. insistent that they be part of it. But, I mean, you know, that sense of betrayal, quote-unquote, that Putin feels and felt as early as 2004 five, 
And, you know, I was at a, a, an evening with him with a group of people back in, uh, I, you know, I've written and talked about this many times, but back in 2004, in which he went on for hours about, look what I've done for you guys. You know, I helped you with Afghanistan, didn't stand in the way of Iraq, didn't stand in the way of European Union enlargement, didn't stand yes. in the way of the bolts and NATO. Uh, and what do you do? You just spend all your time fomenting, quote unquote, uh, unrest in Georgia, in uh, Ukraine, famously, and elsewhere. You know, what do I get from being friendly yes. with new people? And that's basically, and one thing led to another. And the other quote attributed to him is when asked what was the worst thing that had happened in mm. his lifetime, he said the disintegration and failure yeah. of the Soviet Union. So there is a kind of a zeal there, maybe even a sort of a sense that he must do this. Well, again, this this is a, what Russia is. Russia is a great nation, and these, these Baltic countries are part of it, or should be. Well, it's interesting, the, the use of the term, we could get very academic here, the use of the term nation. Um, there yeah. is a, a Russian phrase, a Ruski Duch, which means Russian soul. Yes. A Russian spirit. And there is a sort of Russianness that isn't defined by borders and nation. It's basically a sort of Slav self-awareness, which then takes you over the border into Belarus, um, which you know was called White Russia, you know, Belarusia, yes. and Ukraina, Ukraine, which was originally on the edge. And so you get that sense of a sort of mixing my metaphors here, a sort of Russian Lebensraum, where they yes. see... Uh, the sort of the Russian soul as extending beyond its borders. Clearly, it had nothing to do with the Baltics. Uh, it's got nothing to do with Central Asia, the Caucasus, Armenia, Azerbaijan, Georgia, etc. But Ukraine, the Russians feel to be part of them, part of yes. you know, sort of umbilically linked. And some Ukrainians pre-war uh, would have agreed with that. I mean, many Ukrainians you spoke Russian as their mother tongue and many ukrainians couldn't speak ukrainian now you can't uh, survive for a minute in ukraine without without speaking ukrainian yes and that's true in the donbass for example in that region many identify as russian yeah. and this makes it all the more dangerous doesn't it yeah i mean so ukraine is geographically i mean it's not absolutely uh, clear cut but broadly the further west you go in ukraine the less Russian it is. Um, and in fact, you know, the very Western parts of Ukraine used to belong to Poland. So it's, you know, it was a, it was a divided country. And again, it's one of those remarkable unintended consequences of Putin's terrible decision to invade is that whereas Ukraine was split and was, you know, and, and uh, Zelensky came to power in 2019 saying, you know, I can, I can work with Putin. Uh, you know, we've got to we've got to work with Russia. Russia is next to us. You know, there was a tacit acknowledgement of the link yes. between Ukraine and Russia. What Putin has managed to do is to embed Ukraine in Europe through the European Union, not through yes. NATO, and Western values psychologically forever. That border, wherever it is eventually drawn, is going to be a much harder border than it ever was before. Yes, and Finland and uh, Sweden, isn't it? They both want to join NATO. Yeah, 
absolutely. Who would have thought? I mean, <laughs> yes. you know, the whole Finnish, uh, Finland's always been frightened, rightly so, of Russia and adopted all the way through the Cold War a policy not of neutrality, but of caution towards Russia. Uh, Sweden was always outside, and now they are absolutely hardline towards towards Moscow. Just two more questions, John. You expect, I gather from what you said earlier, that today's meeting in Ramstein Air Base will yield for Ukraine some results in terms of tanks, if not by any means everything that Zelensky probably needs and is looking for. Yeah. And the other question I want to ask you really finally on behalf of our listeners is, where is this going? Is this going to be long? How dangerous is it? This conflict doesn't, I wouldn't claim to be a great military strategist, but I don't see a nice end. I don't see an end at all. Well, uh, uh, unless Putin is toppled from within. The, well, the only thing one can say for certain and predictions of any description are, are <laughs> impossible. They're a mug's game, but we all right. do. We all make them. Uh, but the only thing you can predict with certainty is that it will end because all wars eventually do. Of course. Um, uh, how long it takes, it, there doesn't seem to be any prospect of any resolution to this anytime soon. We will probably be, you will, you know, talking about this uh, in a year's time. Uh, where it will lie, then, who knows? And that's why the decision's being taken now for, because of the weather, there's very little infantry-style movement that takes place because of the land in Ukraine until the snow thaws. And so depending on the weather, we're talking uh, February, March, April, for, but then, as you said right at the beginning, Eamon, there will be a new Russian offensive. And so, therefore, the decisions taken now are absolutely crucial. How bad is Russian morale? Well, it's been pretty terrible. All the Russians seem to be doing with limited success is lobbing missiles um, in population centers and yes. energy centers in Ukraine. But the war will return. And what happens between the anniversary of the invasion, end of February 24, where people are expecting some sort of spectacular, either before, during, or after, and then into the spring months, I think we can cautiously say, but I'm no military expert, that what happens in the next few months will be incredibly important to the military and political outcome for both countries and for the wider Europe. Okay, John, we're very grateful to you for joining us from London, John Kampfner is a very prized guest on this podcast and we're grateful to John to all of you for listening that's all we have time for now we'll talk to you soon planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with Quince Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.